Welcome to our podcast, where I, Keely Severson, Eric Johnson, and Alicia Swamy are exposing mold. Today, we are here with Richard Betts. Dr. Richard Betts is a doctor of chiropractic with a medical acupuncture diploma. He's a functional medicine doctor and has been trained as a chiropractic internist, both of which require him to stay on top of the latest research. He has an ongoing radio show, Healthy Living, that has been running for the past eight years. He is also the author of many published articles, is a guest columnist for the Clinton Herald, 50-ish of River Cities, and is honored to have a story published in Chicken Soup for the Chiropractic Soul. Since the beginning of the pandemic and the rollout of the vaccines, Dr. Betts has been diligently researching and finding out the ramifications of receiving the COVID vaccines, why the public has not been given true information per informed consent, and how will the vaccines affect the human body. In the future, videos of his radio show can be viewed on BitChute under Healthy Living Show, all one word. Being a past mayor, he was able to visit DC many times, meeting with senators and representatives. This gave him an eye opening experience of the government's good, bad, and ugly sides. He was not surprised to learn that the US government created the current situation businesses and citizens must now endure. It is his quest to continue to learn more about the current pandemic and the vaccines and to share this information freely. Okay, Richard, when we scheduled this interview with you, I was personally interested in discussing with you your opinion on the COVID-19 vaccine. And the reason I was interested in discussing this with you is because we are friends on social media. I follow you. And I noticed that you were one of the very few people who was posting things outside of like the narrative that we're getting from the television. I feel like we're all kind of getting fed a narrative. I personally actually don't watch TV that much and I haven't for many years. So when I just randomly plug into the news and it looks like all reality show format, it just seems so fake. So, you know, I've had a lot of questions about the narrative, but I'm finding myself in a time where asking questions publicly or even asking questions that go against the narrative is kind of framed as you are a conspiracy theorist. And since we've scheduled this interview, we've actually had two two interviews with two other doctors doctors who had opinions on on the safety of the vaccine. One doctor is cardiologist, Dr. McCullough, and he thinks that it's so risky he no longer recommends it for any of his patients. We had another doctor who feels like it was completely safe and, you know, everything that we're hearing on the news is like what it is. And you're free to offer your opinion and any data that you've prepared in preparation for this conversation. But one thing that I am interested in having a conversation about is how is it that we have found ourselves in the biggest public health crisis and I don't know how long, and there's so completely opposite sides of information. What is going on sociologically that look, you can go on any social media platform and you can hear case story after case story after case story that's like telling you you're going to kill people if you don't get a vaccine because people are dying. And then also just the opposite. How did we get here? Where's the middle ground of truth? And, you know, I know science is never settled, but it seems like a sociological issue that we cannot have a conversation without it being an emotionally heated, angry fight because people seem so emotionally attached to their side of the narrative. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah. So first of all, 
uh, it's a real honor for me to um, chat with you about this situation that has been happening for almost two years now. Now, sociologically, through my research, and I've read lots and lots and lots of data and papers, and I keep up on what's going on with the FDA, the CDC. I do listen to what Fauci has to say. I do get on other types of platforms that are much more truthful than many of the platforms that you were discussing. And I believe that the number one thing that creates this dichotomy uh, between the pro and anti is fear. And fear is what is, in my personal opinion, being propagated. Because as you said, there are a lot of people who think that if they don't get the vaccine, they're going to die. And we're literally being told by not only the talking heads of different television stations or even radio stations, but we're also being told by the President of the United States that we must get this, in, in my opinion, it is not a vaccine because there are things that check off a list of basic things that create or make a vaccine a vaccine. And unfortunately, an mRNA vaccine is literally an experimental gene therapy. And in fact, if you take a look at the information that the individuals, the companies provided to the EUA, it specifically does say gene therapy. It does not say a vaccine. So to answer your question, I think it is a fear base where there are other people who are also afraid of taking the vaccine because they have had situations where they know of people or, as you said, on social media, they're reading situations where people have died from getting the vaccine. I mean, VAERS, which is the vaccine, the place of the federal government that was created in 1986, the whole purpose of it was so that doctors mostly, but anybody can report to the VAERS, it was the purpose to report any adverse reactions to vaccines. And if you go on the CDC's website and go to VAERS, and as a doctor, because I really wanted to know what was happening with VAERS and how easy it would be for, let's say for instance, one of my patients to go on the website and actually fill out the information. And it is extremely difficult and it has gotten more difficult from the very beginning. So at the very beginning, I actually did go on the website and I was like, oh, well, this is relatively easy, even for my patients. A little bit difficult, but not horrible. Recently, I was on about two months ago, and it's just horribly difficult, not only for a patient, but especially doctors. With this also, I know that the VAERS and the FDA is at least three months behind on going through the data and putting it on their website. So as of July, I think it's either 7th or 9th, we have over 10,000 deaths. Now, 
once again, is VAERS a great way to get all of this information in one place? I don't know the answer to that. You know, a lot of people out on the web are saying, well, you know, Harvard did a study and it looks like only 1% to maybe 10% are actually reported of adverse reactions. I searched for that paper and that paper was done with an insurance company and it was not really a researched paper. It was basically just statistics, you know, on average, blah, blah, blah. And so when I hear bad information like that being reported without good research, that aggravates me. And I think one of the other reasons, not only fear, but people don't know where to turn for information. And then we have the censorship of all of the platforms that are not allowing information other than that which promotes the current narrative. The main thing we want to know is some people believe this treatment is perfectly safe and others are saying, no, this is risky, this is dangerous, and it's unwarranted. Why the opposition here? What is it about this mRNA treatment that we need to be concerned about? So the EUA, the uh, Emergency Use Authorization, okay, was created in 1986. And that allowed manufacturers of vaccines to put in place the vaccine prior to any long-term testing. Okay, and all of the companies will tell you that we do not have any kind of long-term testing. Vaccines prior to the EUA, all the COVID vaccines got, were tested anywhere from 5 to 15 years before they went onto market. Okay, so the mRNA technology is an experimental gene therapy. It's also been called by a lot of the scientists is a transgene insertion. I don't know enough about that to go into that, but that's another thing that they have talked about. Now, we have been told repeatedly, and we continue to be told repeatedly, that the COVID-19 injections are safe and effective. I explained about the VAERS. My critical thinking is, is that if they were effective, then why would we have over 10,000 deaths why would we have almost 500,000 adverse reactions? Now, when we look at the specific cri criteria of a vaccine, it one needs to give antibody immunity to a specific virus or specific bacterium. Two, it, the vaccine has to protect from getting virus or bacterial infection. The injection, in order for it to become a vaccine, it needs to reduce death from virus and bacteria and reduce hospitalizations. Number four, it reduces serious symptoms from viral or bacterial infection. And the last one, the vaccine cannot allow the person to carry the germ anymore and not transmit it. Originally, when I started researching, Pfizer was the first vaccine to be released, and then you had Moderna which was the second one to be released. Now, the first viral product that was re released by Pfizer, I went on their website and they specifically said, I haven't been on there recently, but I do know when it first came out that they specifically said, this does not 
stop you from getting COVID-19. It does not decrease the ability of you getting COVID-19. It does possibly decrease the severity of the symptoms, and it does not stop you from spreading COVID-19. Now, if any smart, intelligent person who reports stories were to just go on the Pfizer website and say, well, listen, what's going on here? The company's telling me that the only thing it's going to stop me from doing is actually decreasing the severity of the symptoms. They are not saying, and I went through earlier, the vaccines and what they're supposed to do. If you're not able to stop you from getting it and stop you from spreading it, but just decrease the severity of the symptoms, why are we all taking this vaccine? When it also has, and all the research is showing this, 99, 98% of the entire population who gets COVID-19 survives. So the death rate is very, very minimal. And most of the death rate uh, happens between the ages of 70 and above. When we talk about the mRNA technology, understand that it has never been used in vaccines before this infectious outbreak. We have absolutely no precedence of using an mRNA vaccine. This is very, very important because we have no safety data once it's injected into the human body. The mRNA was attempted in coronavirus vaccines in the past. It failed in animal studies. You know, a lot of people say, oh, no, 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 you know, that's incorrect information. No, it's not. I've, I've read the studies. When animals got the injection, they were fine. Then when they were exposed to the live coronavirus, they all died. So the mRNA technology was also used to try to make a RSV, which is a respiratory syncytial virus vaccine, and that failed. It was also attempted to be used for dengue fever vaccine, and that failed. So this technology has never really been proven to work and reduce infectious disease. Now, one of the other things that people have been talking about is PEG, polyethylene glycol, and the lipid nanoparticles. Polyethylene glycol, let me talk about that for a second. A lot of people are saying, well, it's the same thing as antifreeze. Okay, so that's ethylene glycol. Think of it this way. Polyethylene, so poly meaning lots of ethylene particles attached to this chemical to make it a different chemical. Ethylene glycol only has one and the glycol. Now, think of it this way, a children's puzzle where you have the shapes, uh, a circle, for instance, and it's a, those big plastic things that you stick on and put it in that, those shapes. Okay. And then think of an octagon, about the same size circumference, but it's an octagon. So think of polyethylene glycol as the octagon and the ethylene glycol as the circle. Now, one can't fit only in its own area. So that's 
a huge difference because if it doesn't fit, then it's not going to do what a lot of doctors and people on the internet are saying. So it is nothing like antifreeze. I just want to make that very, very clear. It's nothing like antifreeze. It may have the two names as antifreeze, but it's not antifreeze. Now, in the literature, the question I had was, what is a lipid nanoparticle? And basically, the definition of a lipid nanoparticle is a fatty particle that is very small. The features of lipid nanoparticles is that they can travel anywhere in the body through any barrier as this is their ability. Okay, so this is another consideration that many people are not going down this, I don't like to call it a rabbit hole, but down into the truth. So lipid nanoparticles have been shown to cause damage to different tissues in the human body. And those particular tissues and the, the literature is there. It's like, it drives me nuts because the reporters aren't doing their job. They aren't asking the right questions. They're just basically asking questions that promote the current way things are in the world. Now, the tissues, this is the amazing thing because we've, we've seen a lot of issues that will correlate with the tissues that I'm going to say. So the male and female rep reproductive systems, um, I can't tell you how many female patients that are younger who have gotten the vaccine have like menstrual cycles that are off the charts, whether they have gone to completely not having their cycle or having several cycles a month. And then of course, you know, you, when you do that, you get into anemia and, and so on and so forth. The blood brain barrier is extremely important, but we're using these nanoparticles to literally get into as much tissue as possible. The lung is another uh, organ, the liver, the kidney, and yes, even the heart. So there is really no safety profile for using this lipid nanoparticle uh, in the ejections in humans. Another situation is that a lot of people are talking about this SM-102, which is a nanoparticle. And the SM-102, a lot of people say, oh, well, there's chloroform in it. What I try to do is I try to seek out the truth and I try to understand why people are saying A, why people are saying B, and then go to the source and find out. So it is true that SM-102 does have chloroform in it from a particular chemical company. And when you go to that website, they will specifically say that this is only for experimentation. It is not supposed to be used for human or animals, etc. Now, there is an SM-102 that does not have chlorophyll in it. And so I am hoping, and I do believe that this is true, that at least they're using the form that does not have the chloroform in it. But, yeah, I mean, it's a great talking point with the SM-102 when people say, oh, wait a second, 
There's chloroform in it. They're pumping us with chloroform. No, I don't believe that that's true. However, once again, SM-102 has never been tested for safety. And from the research that I've done, it is known to be toxic and can cause cancer and infertility as two of the major criteria. The literature is really ripe with information about the danger of lipid nanoparticles. And it, it just blows my mind that the reporters are not doing their job and, you know, digging. You know, it used to be in the 1940s, 1950s, even at, uh, in the 1960s, reporters were good at their job and they were digging and they were asking the right questions. Nobody seems to ask the right questions. And then as a doctor who is doing my research and finding all of this wonderful information, that study, the research is there. And then when I basically go on uh, podcasts like this or social media and say, well, this is, this is what I found. Here is the information. I am basically not believed. <laughs> I don't like to work, use the terminology that you used at the very beginning, um, but I do want to remind people that critical thinking is extremely important in this situation because if you have something and you are telling people that if they get this medical procedure, which it absolutely is a medical procedure, you'll get free beer free lottery tickets, free pot, all of these wonderful free things. And I think to myself, if I were given that, or uh, uh, that's an incentive, I think to myself, as a doctor, what would happen to me as a doctor if I were to incentivize a patient to come in and get a treatment? That, my friends, is known as inducement. It is against the law in all 50 states for doctors to do that. You will go before the board. You will most likely get a bigger issue of just having your hand slapped and you could lose your license or have to take an enormous amount of continuing education credits to let the board know that you're not going to induce patients any longer into your office. Yet... The FDA, the President of the United States, are encouraging counties and states and cities to induce people to get a medical procedure outside of a doctor's office. I mean, you can go to your local Walmart, drive up. Doctors are supposed to be critical thinkers, and they should be reading the studies, and they should be working through and questioning them. Because, you know, some of the studies are literally crap. They should have not ever gotten published. And um, there are quite a few studies that were published during the pandemic that have been retracted, rightfully so. Once you work through a problem, in my head, I need to examine it, test it, and come to a conclusion. With the training that I have, with all of the information that I get, to a point that I feel confident in what I'm going to say. I never say anything that I do not research and understand prior to saying that. Now, 
let's talk a little bit about the spike protein. And I'm not sure how much anybody has gone in as far as the spike protein is concerned. So the spike protein in the mRNA experimental gene therapy is not part of a virus. What did he just say? Yeah, so there's a lot of research out there that shows that the actual spike protein that is in the vaccine is not part of the one coronavirus. Now, understand, if the doctors were to go back to their immunology classes in school, we know that when a virus goes into our cells, because it's replicating itself, right? So when it replicates itself in our cells, it changes the DNA slightly, okay? And then it releases it, and then it releases out into space, another person gets infected, etc. So the spike protein is not specific to any virus in the mRNA vaccine. It is similar, however, this is interesting to note, it is similar to many tissues in your body. What? So if you're going to make any antibody against this spike protein, you are actually going to start attacking your own body. And many doctors know that when your body, your immune system attacks your own body, what is that called? It's called autoimmunity, okay? Autoimmunity is one of the worst things that a person can have because the immune system, your own self, is attacking cells within your body. So we're actually, with this mRNA, critical thinking here, we're actually creating an environment or a situation where the body is going to start attacking itself. Now, the question is, is that when does this happen? We don't know. Why don't we know? Because we have no long-term study on it. So this is a question that I have for these companies. Why are we not doing long-term studies? Well, because they don't have any liability. The country, the United States of America in 1986, gave these companies no liability for any kind of adverse reactions to their vaccines or their product. As I said, the, the spike protein crosses the blood-brain barrier. And what does it do when it crosses the blood-brain barrier? Well, it causes neurological damage. So we know individuals who have not only have had COVID, but also have had the vaccine or the experimental gene therapy, they have neurological damage. Their thought process is off. Even things like Guillain-Barre syndrome and those types of neurological diseases, we are seeing. It attaches to the heart muscle, causes heart issues. It attaches to lungs and causes lung disease, blood, and causes clotting and hypoxia. Everybody was concerned about that, and it was a big, huge concern for a period of time, and then all of a sudden, it's gone. It's not a huge concern anymore. Well, <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait a second. And as I said earlier, you know, the male and female reproductive system causes symptoms that we see in the male and female reproductive systems. Now, 
the authorities are saying the spike protein is the part of the virus that causes the disease state of COVID-19. Okay, it's not actually the virus itself. It is actually the spike protein. So why would you take an injection that causes your body to manufacture the spike protein and then as we go down that spiral into disease, have autoimmunity possibilities. So the spike protein, nowhere in virology or in microbiology does this exist in nature. It only existed in SARS-CoV-1, MERS, and SARS-CoV-2. Now this is an interesting study. It was done by the Salk Institute. And they did a study with the spike protein alone without a virus attached to it. So without the coronavirus attached to it, it gave the symptoms of COVID-19. So you don't need a coronavirus to make you sick. You just needed the spike protein. This is what the study concluded. They used a pseudovirus to present the spike protein to human tissue, and they saw that it caused the same damage to the body as if people were getting natural COVID-19 symptoms. Wow. Have we heard any information like that on any outlet? Well, no, we have not. So, you know, I try not to go down the rabbit hole, why? Why have we not? Why have we not? I just go, why aren't we doing our job when it comes to reporting? So the EUA, Emergency Use Authorization, was passed. Um, and the reason they, they could get the injection into the public without FDA approval. Remember, this medical procedure has not been approved by the FDA. This medical procedure has not been approved by the FDA. I don't know how many times I can say that. And nowhere, nowhere does it show that this vaccine is safe and effective because it's still being researched. Those of us who have gotten the vaccine and those who have not are all part of the research, period. And no one seems to be talking about that. In order to get an EUA, there needed to be no successful intervention that could treat or prevent COVID-19. Then they could put in an experimental trial, okay? Doctors around the world were screaming that they gave their patients hydroxychloroquine, zinc, ivermectin, vitamin C, vitamin D, glutathione, iodine, hyperbaric oxygen treatment, ozone therapy, and people were getting better. The medical community, the medical community told these doctors that were telling other doctors these work to shut up and don't talk about it. I thought to myself, well, how did they, how did they know to go to hydrochloroquine and help these patients? So what I did was I searched for a study on hydrochloroquine or SARS, I just wanted to find out, is there a study that says this? Well, guess what? In 2005, it was published in Virology Journal, and the paper is called Chloroquine is a Potent Inhibitor of SARS Coronavirus Infection and Spread. 
they're talking about SARS-CoV-1. Now, the interesting thing is, is that Fauci knew this paper was out there. In fact, there are statements that he agreed with it, et cetera, et cetera. So my question became, okay, because the study was published in 2005 for SARS-CoV-1, why didn't we go directly to the hydrochloroquine? Now, we remember that President Trump, when he was still in office, he was touting hydrochloroquine. In fact, he said that the, the reason and way that he got better was using hydrochloroquine. Well, he was shut up right away. And the question is why? You have a paper that says that this actually does work. It is a potent, which means very strong, inhibitor of the SARS coronavirus. A censorship of docs around the world and putting patients on ventilators, what I have seen with colleagues throughout the world, were really a mistake. And, and it's sad because we look at all of those people that were on ventilators, that if they were only given hydrochloroquine, they probably would still be alive. And, you know, we, as a doctor, I take an oath do no harm and do all that you can to help that patient come alive or stay alive or anyway. Um, the material published by manufacturers, as I said, on the website, it was interesting because all requests and information toward the EUA says that it is not a vaccine. It specifically says that it is gene Therapy. And I mentioned that earlier on. It says that it is a transgene insertion. Now, we've been told that it is not going to alter your DNA. So the question I had is that, okay, so if we've been told that it's not going to alter my DNA, where's the science showing that mRNA can't become rRNA, which is reverse RNA, and then go back into the DNA and change the DNA? And I thought, well, you know, they're, they're making this statement. It must be true. Where can I find this information? And guess what? There is none. There is precedence to show that this mRNA technology is used to alter chromosomes or your own genes. But there is nothing that's showing that it's going to alter the DNA consequences or the good things and bad things about VAERS, as I said, it was set up in 1986 as part of the National Vaccine Compensation Act, because one of the things uh, I'm going to share with the audience is that I used to be the mayor of my town, and I did visit Washington, D.C., and I was able to talk to senators and representatives, and I cannot tell you how crazy that place is. There are an enormous amount of lobbyists that are paid horrible amounts of money to stand out in front of the door of the office of these representatives and senators that they can catch them as they're going on and badger them about different things that they might be working for the chemical companies or the farming companies or whatever the case may be. And these people are bombarded on a daily basis. You and I as individuals don't have anything on the ability of what 
a lot of these lobbyists are doing to get this through. So basically, I can't find any information as to why and how the National Vaccine Compensation Act started, other than there in the act, I found a statement basically saying, and this is not quoting, but basically saying that this will help the vaccine companies not go bankrupt. So we take away your liability. You're not liable for killing people. And the U.S. government takes on that liability. And then the U.S. government creates this Vaccine Compensation Act that if you have anyone in your family or you know of anyone who has tried to get compensated for a vaccine adverse reaction, it is like getting hit by lightning ever. Very few people have actually been paid money. And the other interesting thing about this, it doesn't have to go into court. But that's another rabbit hole we could go down. I'm not going to go down that one. So as I shared with you, as of July 9th, there was 10,990 deaths reported to bearers. Now, also, I know through colleagues that are um, very closely associated with the FDA and the CDC, VAERS is three months behind in entering the data. Some of the data is not even being allowed to be reported. Also, hospitals, because hospitals have, uh, you know, grades and so on and so forth, and you don't want to have people dying of this or dying of this or, or whatever. It's also pretty well known that uh, hospitals are not putting this in the VAERS. So even though a doctor might request that this be, you know, put on VAERS, because he or she works for the hospital, because the hospital is her, his or her employer, they can decide that, no, that's not something that we believe should happen. Many of us might remember the swine flu. Swine flu injection killed upwards of 53 people. Okay, after 53 people, they halted it. They took it off the market. That's why we don't have a swine flu injection. And yet, here we are at VAERS saying that we have 10,000, almost 11,000 people, and we are still jabbing people. We know also that the recovery of COVID, as I shared, is 98 to 99%. One of the things also I'd like to explain is the PCR test. So the PCR test does not tell you whether you do or do not have COVID. Does not tell you whether you do or do not have COVID. PCR test is inaccurate and false at higher cycles. It was never intended to diagnose. Carrie Mullis, who died of pneumonia back in November, who is the inventor of the PCR test, he said there is absolutely positively no reason to go above 20 cycles. All labs are different. So if you send it to uh, LabCorp or if you send it to data or, or, or whatever the labs may be, they all have their own cycles. So you could actually take a specimen. I haven't done this. Uh, I'm almost tempted to and just do it on myself. Take a, a sample and send it to all the different labs and they all have different cycles. 
The interesting thing is, is that all labs should be, actually when you get the sheet back, they should be giving you how many cycles in the test that they ran. Unfortunately, they're not. Do I know the reason? Absolutely not, but I have my thoughts on that. So this technology was used in the past, get this, the mRNA technology, okay? mRNA technology was used in the past to depopulate insects that were overflowing in communities. Wow. Um, another statistic, we have a 400% increase in miscarriages. For the, the country that has the most money, um, we're not a third world country. We are really, really, really good at killing babies. Other countries out there, third world countries that have a better capability of keeping their babies after they're born. The United States is pretty low compared to the rest of the world. And now we have this mRNA gene therapy that we've seen a 400% increase in miscarriages since we've been doing the vaccines. I know that we've been going, you know, for a while, but I just want to address shedding. So a lot of people are talking about shedding. Uh, according to you, uh, the authorities, there is no evidence that people are shedding. So many people are saying, well, when I get the vaccine, or if a person who has gotten the vaccine, and I haven't gotten the vaccine, is that person who has gotten the vaccine shedding, and by touching them, I will get the ramifications of having the mRNA vaccine. So the question I had was, okay, so I'm all about the research. Is there any literature that actually shows me that it has been tested as to whether or not there has been shedding going on? Well, I was wondering, okay, so have the saliva been tested? The urine, exhalation, skin, stool of people getting the injection, is the material coming out of the body and is it transmitting? So this is an interesting piece of information that I found. During the first part of the trial, um, Pfizer warned the people to not have sex for four weeks and not get pregnant during the trial. So I'm wondering, okay, do they know things that we don't know? Are they not giving us all the information? Well, we know they're not because if you look at an insert, the insert doesn't give us crap as far as what's in it. There is something called magneto nanoparticles. This is interesting because this is transmitting from person to person. The mRNA technology to create self-spreading vaccines. So this is in research. We know that we can have these magneto nanoparticles. Now the question is, is that are these magneto nanoparticles in the vaccine? Hell, we don't know. Because once again, we've given dispensation to these corporations and they're for-profit corporations. What does that mean? That means that they have a fiduciary responsibility by law to make their shareholders money. That's their primary reason. It is not to help us 
stay well, get well, cure disease. That's just the byproduct of them making money. As far as polyethylene glycol use is concerned, I'd like to kind of just talk a little bit about that. This is the definition on one of the websites that I was in, polyethylene glycol uses. The most common medical use of polyethylene glycol is as a laxative, usually called Miralax, in over-the-counter preparations. A more intense version of the same laxative plays a role in colonoscopy and barium enema solutions. When combined with electrolytes to prevent dehydration, polyethylene glycol causes a watery diarrhea that clears up the colon, allowing doctors to get a clear view of the organ. Okay, so notice I could not find a whole heck of a lot of literature that talks about injecting this into the human body. We were told that when you get it injected into the deltoid, it stays in the deltoid. Well, guess what? Anybody who has, any doctor who has a brain still in their head and, and knows physiology and biochemistry would know that, wait a second, on almost every single muscle bundle, there is an artery, a vein, a lymph vessel, and a nerve. We have all of these right in the muscle. So what is the primary reason for the lymph system? It's the garbage dump. Well, if the body sees that these injections are garbage, they're gonna put them into the lymph system. Then the lymph system goes to the subclavian and then it gets dispersed. It goes, hopefully, if it's garbage, it will go into the liver, the liver will deal with it, and it gets expelled. But as I said earlier, because of the technology, these nanoparticles actually can go into the cell very quickly. The reason that this happens, in my theory, and most other people's who understand what's going on, it is a fat, okay? So the fat, in order for the mRNA to get into the cell, into the ribosome, to duplicate itself, it must go through the cell barrier. Well, there's only one way to get through the cell barrier. And remember, the mRNA is packaged in this tight fat molecule, and the outside of the cell has two layers of fat. So it can actually go to the cell. It doesn't have to go to a protein and, say, and knock on the door and say, let me in, let me in. It automatically just integrates into the phospholipid bilayer. And once it integrates into the phospholipid bilayer, it becomes a piece of that cell. Mind you, a synthetic piece of that cell. It's like a scab on the cell. But when it becomes a scab on the cell, it opens up and releases the mRNA into the cytosol or the inner side of the cell. Then, because it's mRNA, it goes to the ribosome. The ribosome then reproduces, because remember, the mRNA is a blueprint for the spike protein. What happens is that the ribosome produces all of these spike proteins and the cell sees it as what? Oh, 
this is not supposed to be here. So it either gets rid of it or it ends up getting so much in it that it explodes and dies. Hey, wait a second. So you're saying that the mRNA vaccine that I'm taking can actually kill my cells? Yes. And that's not being reported because if that were being reported, nobody would get it. So once then it goes into and gets reproduced in the cell, remember you have white blood cells that come along and when that cell is dead, it's going to remember everything about that cell and go, wait a second, this cell was producing this, so it's a bad cell. So now the white blood cell will go around looking for that same cell, which is a good cell, and destroy it. This is what we know as autoimmunity. Now, one of the things that I'd like to leave you all with is I you know, talked about zinc, I talked about vitamin D, I talked about these types of things. From a functional medicine standpoint, there's an enormous amount of research on vitamin D, an enormous amount, that if people's vitamin D level were, I like to see my patients at 60 and between 60 and 85. Most people walking around on the planet, even those who live on the coasts where, you know, or in the south where there's lots and lots of sunshine, I have found that they're at 30 maybe, which does not give the immune system a great ability to do its job. So two things that I'm going to leave the audience with is that you need to get to someone who is going to give you a vitamin D hydroxy test. This test allows us to know how much vitamin D your body has in it. And as I said, it should be above 60. Like I said, I like mine at 70, 75. And the second thing is, if it is low, make sure that you have a high quality vitamin D because most of the stuff that comes over the counter is crap literal crap. And the reason is that most of the pharmaceutical companies that bought up the um, vitamin companies and just kept the name because they see how many billions of dollars it makes them on a yearly basis. So you need to get to someone who can give you a high quality vitamin D and get your vitamin D level up to an optimal range. So, do you all have any questions for me? Yeah, uh, can you explain to us what antibody-dependent enhancement is? Oh, wow, you want me to go down a rabbit hole. Okay, first of all, it doesn't happen in nature. Let me say that again. From all of the research that I have read, it doesn't happen in nature. However, it has been studied in different labs. Antibody enhancement, is literally what the word says. We are enhancing the ability of these antibodies to do something. Now think of the virus. I'm gonna use the, the analogy of the universe. A virus is like a planet. And when we start playing God, we end up creating something that's similar to a planet, but it may not have 
all of the characteristics of the planet, but it has one characteristic or two or three that are specific to what we want that planet to do. And so when we go through the process of creating this, we enhance the immune system's ability to do other things. And I, I don't want to go down the, 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 the rabbit hole of conjecture what some of these laboratories are doing. I know there's a lot of people who say this uh, mRNA or the coronavirus was a created a virus that was meant to do that specifically. Um, I, I, I don't want to go down that because I don't, I don't have the research, I don't have the information enough to do that. So the other thing is with the uh, vaccines, people are talking about the possibility that by directing the immune system to go for the spike proteins, you increase the chances of vaccine escape for uh, variations, for mutants? Good question. So once again, at the very beginning, I explained that the virus, if a virus enters my body and it's producing virus, it's going to actually take some of my chromosomes and add it to itself. And the new product now is a different virus. It may change, you know, by maybe two, three, four, five, maybe more chromosomes, but it's a different virus than it landed in my body. The mutations happen when we get it into our system. Much like, you know, when a male and a female produce an offspring, that offspring has, you know, characteristics of the male and it has characteristics of the female. The virus does much the same thing. And so these variants or strains, big talk of the Delta strain, the Delta strain, the Delta strain. My personal belief with the research that I've done, where did this come from? I don't know. I can't figure it out. And the research isn't there. And so I can't speculate, but I do have questions. You know, is it another virus that has been created in a lab and released? I don't know. Is it a virus that because a person who has been vaccinated got COVID and now we have the genes from the mRNA and we have the genes from the old COVID and now it's creating a new, because when you get sick, you're going to, if you get the a virus, you are actually going to produce the virus. Because as I said, the virus goes to the cell, the cell then opens up and says, hey, come on in. So it goes to the DNA, it gets replicated um, a bazillion times, and then eventually the cell pops open, releases the viruses throughout the entire body. It tries to go to other cells, but the immune system has its number and it starts to go and attack all the viruses. So I know that didn't necessarily answer your question. First of all, there's not enough research on the variant yet to answer that question. I'm hoping that there is going to be research in the near future on the variant so that we can learn 
more. Well, you talked about the loss of critical analysis, how people just aren't even looking at the situation. I mean, things that don't make sense, like this is supposedly so contagious, casual contact can pass it on, and yet California is sending vaccine advocates door to door. How can this be possible? <laughs> this makes no sense. Okay, so this is one of the things um, here in Iowa, that's where I am. When I was mayor, if you're a good mayor, you learn how to play the game. In Iowa, in our statutes, it specifically states that you can only go into a closed session for these particular things. Dubuque, Iowa, which is a city about 40 miles north of me, ended up going into a closed session to discuss the mask wearing mandate. They, as a city, were going to create a mask wearing mandate. Okay, first of all, you can't do that. And that would have to be in an open meeting because you have to have people coming in and giving their opinion, as in the residents giving their opinion. That's not a closed session. When I found that out, I contacted the city clerk or the city administrator and I said, how did you guys even get to do that? Because that's illegal. And he says, well, our attorney allowed us to do that. I said, well, then you need to fire your attorney because they're an idiot. Because according to the state statute, you cannot go into a closed session to discuss a health issue. It, it, it's, it's not part of our statute. Now, I don't know what California statutes are. It's pretty easy to find out. All you have to do is just Google California state closed meeting, you know, city closed meeting type. Uh, and what are the, what are the um, rules and regulations for that? But what the state and the, 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 the cities are doing is truly out of their ability to do what they're doing. Okay? It, absolutely out of their ability. Even if they create an emergency situation, the emergency situations, if you look at most of the laws in most of the states, I haven't read all of them, but I do know at least five of them, so that wouldn't be most, it would be five, no more than 60 days can you have an emergency health situation or lockdown of any kind. And oftentimes, many of them don't even specifically say what constitutes a lockdown. It is my hope that in the future, attorneys, if I had more time on this earth, I would probably go back and become an attorney and make oodles amounts of money. Because I would take every single city that closed all of their businesses down, every single state that closed all of their businesses down, and I would take them to court. Because I know being the mayor of this town and learning the information, I know that most of the things that were passed in these cities and states were not able to be passed according to their own state and city ordinances and state laws. So when it comes to California, that's a very unique state. I use that very broadly. The situation with California is I don't think the individual who is running the state understands what really should be happening and what really from a health standpoint should be going on. I mean, look at the federal government. 
we have Anthony Fauci, who at the very beginning said, oh, there's no need to wear a mask. A month or half ago, a month and a half passes, oh yeah, you have to wear masks. And then a month and a half or a month passes, and oh, you better wear two masks, by the way. And you're just like, what the heck is happening to our federal government? These mandates, first of all, should have never happened uh, because I believe from my understanding of virology, and I'm not a virologist, I am a really good researcher and I am a really good individual who goes out and searches for the answer. I believe that if we would have let it run its course, would people have died? Yes, people would have died. However, saying that, I, if I were Anthony Fauci, would have said to people, take high doses of vitamin C, take vitamin D, take zinc. Those are three uh, of uh, vitamin and um, mineral that would increase the probability of a person living, even at the higher age group, even with the comorbidities. But there's nothing that's being said about nutrition, about the vitamins. And the interesting thing is, is that I found an interview with Dr. Fauci, basically said, oh yeah, yeah, I take, I think it's 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C on a daily basis. But yet he doesn't say anything. And they all are not sharing with you, as I said at the very beginning of the program, the hydrochloroquine. Uh, and the ivermectin. Ivermectin seems to be amazing at a prophylactic as well as once you get the disease. A lot of states are saying, oh, no, no, ivermectin isn't that or, or, or whatever the case may be. It is shown in several studies along with, you know, doctors who are using it who are saying, listen, if we give these patients this, now I, I'm a natural uh, doctor, I don't do medications, but even if uh, the person thinks that a medication is going to help them, ivermectin has been uh, very safe. It's been around for 40 years. Um, it doesn't have a huge amount of side effects. If you're going to a different country and the water is not clean, ivermectin is recommended that you take it on a daily basis just to make sure that no worms or, or um, protozoa or bacteria grow in your, in your body. So there's just a, an enormous amount of information out there that's not being shared. The only thing that's being shared is fear. If you don't get your vaccination, then you will die. Oh, this is another thing. I wanna talk about pregnancy really quickly. The Pfizer and the Moderna companies in their website said, do not give this to pregnant women. Do not give this to pregnant women. Yet I have pediatrician friends who are saying, oh yeah, I'm giving the, the vaccine to my pregnant patients. And I'm like, but there's no research. A couple of them have shared, oh, well, I did see that we have had several miscarriages. And I said to them, okay, so are you reporting this to VAERS? Believe it or not, there are doctors who don't even know that there is this uh, opportunity to report to the federal government. It's becoming more well-known, but most of them just 
boggles my brain. I mean, back in 1986, this started. And when I was going through school in the early 2000s, I knew about VAERS. And I'm blown away by the number of doctors who do not know about VAERS. So when it comes to pregnancy, I highly recommend, and once again, you need to talk to your healthcare professional before you take any of my advice. But I, if I were pregnant and I know what I know, I would not get the vaccine because we don't know. And as I shared with you, there are 400% increase in miscarriages. Yeah, so then the other thing I wanted to bring up is children, children getting vaccines. On, all, uh, on the websites, it specifically says children under the age of 18 were not tested. And then I think they kind of started throwing in, oh yeah, well, we may have tested between 12 and 18. Well, zero to 12 has not been tested. Yet pediatricians are being required by their state medical associations to give them this experimental gene therapy. We don't know what's going to happen. We already discussed that these, these particles um, go to the brain. Okay, so before you're five, that's when most of your brain develops. And so I think to myself, no, wait a second. How is that going to work itself out when that patient grows older? Are they going to have a decrease in their thinking processes? So there are so many questions, yet we are being told on a regular basis, it's safe and effective. Okay, if it's safe and effective, then show me the data. Show me that it is safe. Show me that it is effective because you haven't done it. And just because you say it is, does not make it true. Yeah, just for a point of historic context, you've referred several times to the immunity provided the legislation that makes uh, pharmaceutical companies, vaccine companies, immune from lawsuits over yes. the uh, adverse results. And this uh, happened back in 1986 concurrent with the mandate for the hepatitis B vaccine for medical employees in school. Amazing timing on that one. So the interesting thing too is that HHS, Human Health Services, which is a federal organization, in this law that was passed, they were told that they need to do a report every two years. Once again, every two years with all of the adverse reactions and what were the conclusions or what was found, what was concluded. And then they were supposed to bring it to the federal government as a report. Guess how many times the HHS has done what the law says they should be doing? I would guess never. Never. This is why if I had enough time on this earth, my butt would be going back to attorney school and I would sue the federal government because they're creating laws for us to do things, but they can't even do the crap that they've made laws in the past to do. Amazing. Amazing.
We really value your opinion on these subjects because as you're seeing in the news, any oppositional information uh, or any questioning of the vaccine is completely squelched. And I just saw this morning that Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, is now uh, mandating the vaccine for people to go into crowded venues. Is this kind of what you're seeing that will continue to be happening across the board where it's like, okay, now employers are going to mandate it. Now it's mandated for this and that and this. And how do we stop that as consumers from happening once these, these issues are already put in place? Yeah, okay. So one, the medical profession is kind of taking the reins on that here in the United States. Most of the corporations outside of the medical profession is basically saying, okay, well, we're not going to force you to do it. But if you um, don't want to do it, you're going to have to wear a mask during your work. Basically, all the corporations are waiting to find out and see what the medical corporations and how that's going to work out for them. There are a lot of nurses and doctors that refuse to get the experimental gene therapy. Um, they are also quitting because of it, so they're losing their job and or being fired because of it. Once again, we talked about the corporations earlier. So the corporation has a fiduciary responsibility. By law, they need to make their shareholders money. They do not get to dictate medical law. And once again, I wish I had the time in my life to go back and become an attorney, but there's something called HIPAA. And HIPAA compliancy means that the information about you is between you and your healthcare professional. Anybody else does not have any bearing. You do not need to share this information with anybody. So in order to get these corporations to be able to find out whether a person has been vaccinated or not, the federal government has to pass a law to allow a dispensation of some kind to the HIPAA law. Now, there is in some states, um, like for instance, if your child wants to go to public school, they have to have a battery of immunizations, okay? Now, in the state code, it says, you know, X, Y, Z immunizations must be required in order for your, your child to go to school. However, many states have um, reasons or uh, due to religious beliefs or the child has had adverse reactions with other vaccines. Those must be documented and basically said, okay, my child is not getting any vaccines. However, having said that, California recently passed uh, a law that requires every single child to be vaccinated, whether they have had an adverse reaction or not. So in other words, if the child has had an adverse reaction and we end up getting a particular disease on the spectrum, that child will be required, as long as that child lives in the state of California, to have their pediatrician inject them. There are a couple of my friends who are pediatricians in California. One of them has moved out, unfortunately, because he is of the belief, do no harm. Well, if he's already injected the child, the child had an adverse reaction, and now he's being asked by the state to inject that child, he is doing more harm. What I believe 
is that hopefully, and there are more and more doctors coming out of the woodwork, talking about no, no, and no, I'm not going to get the vaccination. I'm not going to require the vaccination, et cetera, et cetera. Problem is, is that the medical boards of the states are also talking about and or implementing ways in which they can control the doctor and basically say, okay, but you're not doing what you're supposed to do. So when it comes to what can a person do in order to get the narrative changed, first of all, I want to say that only 48% of the United States has been vaccinated. Now there is, so that means that there's 52% that most likely won't be vaccinated. And you have seen that a lot of the, the vaccination drive-throughs are like nil now. You rarely hear that, you know, oh, there's a hundred million cars waiting to get poked by this vaccine in the Verizon Center or, or, or whatever the parking lot might be. So as an individual working in government, I know for a fact that the squeaky wheel gets the grease. I also know for a fact that very few people squeak because they don't think that they can make a change. And we discussed earlier that when I went to Washington, D.C., we had a, a lot of lobbyists. Lobbyists are paid hundreds of thousands of dollars in order to set in front of a governor or a representative's door to their office waiting for them to either come into the office or leave the office and chat with them for two, three minutes as they walk down the hallway to get out of the building. And so large corporations hire these individuals to keep badgering the representatives on that. I can tell you that a lot of the representatives do not like that at all, but it's part of their job. I also can tell you that um, at least one representative confided in me and said that, you know, I have more lobbyists contacting me than my own constituents. And I got in office to help my constituents, yet those constituents are not telling me or sharing with me what they would like to see in that state. So my recommendation, and being mayor of the town, I let people know that if there is something wrong with the town, or you think that something could be better, or you think that something is so bad that the town needs to address it, please email me. And even with that plea, I would get maybe one, not maybe an email every three months, and or possibly a letter every six months, so people have become somewhat complacent. And the only way that we're going to be able to change this traveling down this pathway is if the individuals contact, write letters, write emails, leave a message on their phone because most of them aren't answering the phone and let them know that you are not going to support them unless they support whatever you want them to support. And I'm not going to say, you know, obviously a lot of, hopefully a lot of different types of people are going to listen to this, but whatever you feel is going to make you 
better and the living is going to be, the economy is going to be better. You need to voice that opinion to your representatives because ultimately the federal government trickles down into the state government. Now, having said that, you want to contact your state individuals, whether it's the representative of the state, uh, uh, Senate of the state, or just local people. We shared about the mask mandates of some of the cities. First of all, they can't do that. <laughs> they just can't do that because most of them don't have city ordinances that allow them to do that. And in order for the city ordinance to get passed, you have to have a majority of the council in order to get that onto the, to the city ordinance. And then you have to have two hearings of it before it completely passes. So I don't think if we were to have gone through that process, and that's why it was illegal for most cities to do what they did, shut down businesses and mask people, it's not in their ordinance. They could not do it. And yet I still don't understand how, it's, how it got done. But as I said, if I had only had more time, I'd become an attorney because I would literally go after every single city and compensate these businesses who went out of business. But ultimately, it's the individual that makes the biggest squeak because those are the people who are going to pull the lever for or against that individual, and they know it. The lobbyists aren't going to. The corporations that the lobbyists work for aren't going to. It's you as a citizen. You have an enormous amount more power than you think you do. And if we as a, a country just realize that, just stop listening to all of the fear-mongering that is going on, and that's what it is, it's a fear-mongering thing, because ultimately, if you look at Pfizer and Moderna's amount of money that they've made since January 1st of this year to now, it's gone astronomically. Well, that's because governments pay billions of dollars to get the vaccine so that everybody will get one. So contact your representative. Tell them what you want to have done. Tell them you're sick and tired of if your issue is wearing a mask. And by the way, there is just recently a, a piece of research. I haven't read it completely. I just heard about it. I think it's out of Germany that they actually tested the O2 underneath the mask and it is, uh, according to OSHA, it would be something that OSHA would shut down the entire factory if it got up to, I think it's like, it got up to uh, 5,000 parts per million. And that decreases the thought process and so on and so forth. So masks, if you want to wear masks, great. If you don't want to wear masks, then let your representative know. If you want to wear masks, then let your representative know. The only way that we're going to get through this is if we come together and actually understand that we have more power than we think. Really, really enjoyed that answer. And I look forward to hearing what our audience members have to say and think about what you just said. You had posed a figure when you were explaining earlier about 48% of being vaccinated. Now, I've been seeing all over the media that that figure is actually 60%. Now, we understand what's going on in the media, and I'm not really sure how truthful that is since you're giving me a different number. 
how do we know for a fact that these numbers that we're even seeing on the internet are, are correct or the numbers that are coming out of these government agencies are correct? Because I mean, time and time again, these agencies continue to fail us as we've seen. So how can we even trust the data that they come out with? Absolutely. That's a great question. So the situation is, is if we went from zero vaccinated, and I, I always put on my thinking cap, critically think. Okay, so if we went from zero to hopefully 200 million at the beginning of July, which we didn't hit, we know that. And before the beginning of July, remember all the drive-up vaccination places? I mean, you could go into the local football field or the local gymnasium or wherever. How long did those last? They didn't last a very long time. So for us to think, in, in my mind, I critically think to myself, okay, so do we mean that we got up to this 60% without having these mass vaccinations? There's no way with all of the, the pharmacists, the doctors, the nurses, the nurse practitioners, and yes, even dentists were recruited for this. Amazing. And the dentists don't want to do this. But even with all of those people, if we didn't have these mass vaccination places and only those people were to do the vaccines, they would have to do an astronomical number of vaccines per day in order to get to the number that the federal government is telling us it's at. Does that make sense? Because if you don't have these mass vaccine places, having mass people roll through them, your numbers are not gonna be high. So then you have to depend on the doctor's offices, which by the way, if you're a doctor, what are you gonna do? Oh wait, you have patients that you have to take care of. So you're not gonna be plugging people with a, a vaccine. You have to take care of your patients. Same with nurse practitioners. So critically thinking about this, which we don't do when we're in fear mode, it's very difficult. We go into fight or flight. We're either gonna fight the bear or we're gonna run from the bear. So most of us are in that fight or flight because they're propagating that information on regular media. So we don't critically think, oh wow, 60%. Now, when you hear that number, for those of you who have not gotten the vaccine, doesn't that sound like something that you might want to do? Because, oh, we're now at 60%. Well, if I'm not, if I don't have the vaccine, I don't fit in now. And that's kind of the pathway that we're going down to, is that's part of the fear mongering, is, well, grandma got it, or, uh, and mom got it, well, child has to get it, or they're going to kill grandma. So when we critically think, step back and say, okay, all of these mass vaccine places didn't stick, stick around for a very long time. Why? Because those who really got really frightened got their vaccine and then it was more of a trickle. And then the size condensed to instead of 20 lanes, we had 10, and then we had three, and then we had one, and now 
they don't exist. So for us to get to a 60% in from January to July. Now remember, we didn't hit to we didn't hit the number that Biden wanted to get us to July 1st, 200 million, okay? So how many how how many people are in the United States? Okay? So we take that number and go, well, you didn't hit it there, and we don't have these mass vaccination places. So how did we go from July 4th to now, what is this, July, I don't even know, 19th, which is what, 12, 13, 14 days, not a little, almost two weeks? How did we get to that number? There's absolutely positively no way with critically thinking about this that we've done that. Because every single pharmacist, if every single pharmacist, every single nurse practitioner, nurse, doctor, hospital orderly, which hopefully isn't happening, would do this, we still wouldn't get to that number because it takes time. You're supposed to take notes. You're supposed to do this. There's a a process of this whole thing. We don't have the time to see that amount of people in that short of time. Very clear that it's it's more of a mass manipulation more than anything. And I don't know if you guys do this, but I really enjoy checking out all of the, the propagated material that the media pushes out. And I like to see the comments that people leave under all this stuff from The Guardian and so and so. And it's very clear to me that there is a little bit more of an uptick of people not really believing this crap. They're not really on board with this, even though we keep getting slammed with this propaganda over and over that this is what we have to do. Biden wanting to hit the 70% this month the 60% manipulation numbers to make you think, oh, I need to join the crowd, you know? So what do you think is the overall goal of pushing these vaccines down everyone's throats? What is the purpose? That's a great question. And I've really, really tried to come up with a good answer in my head because I ultimately think to myself, there are an awful lot of things going on in the world today that all of a sudden have stopped. Uh, What I mean by that, in all of the media, it seems like the only thing that hits the front page, it used to be how many deaths are happening. Well, they don't do that anymore. It used to be how many cases were happening. Well, they don't do that anymore. And now we have to create more of a fear and so now we've gotten a new variant, this Delta variant. Well, if anybody, and I shared this earlier, if any doctor remembers immunology, when you get a virus and it gets into your cell, parts of your chromosomes or DNA or genomes, while the virus is replicating, come into the virus. So there's a little bit of part of you there. So you personally, have created your own variant. And then you pass it to other people and then they create their own variant and so on and so forth. So for me to believe, even in my immune (laughs) classes, going through doctor school, for me to believe that there is this one variant that is wreaking havoc on all of the world is mind blowing because if you understand a little bit about virology and you actually were in the class and listened, you would know that you're producing variants. And it can be 
every single cell is producing a variant of that virus. It's not a huge variant, but it is a variant of the virus. So when they started talking about the Delta variant, and I'm sure there's going to be a gamma, a baba, whatever variant in the near future. Once again, I think to myself, okay, why are they doing this? Why are they doing it? Because it's a lot easier to create fear within the individual. Because the longer you stay fearful, the more we can manipulate how we want the world to be. This is unprecedented. You know, this is truly unprecedented that we have a virus like this that has the World Health Organization, the National Institute of Health, all backing this vaccine. There's a simple, simple, simple things that you can do to decrease the ability of your body to hang on to the virus and increase the ability of the body to destroy the virus when you get it inside of your body. And those are vitamins and minerals. And there is an enormous amount of research, of some of which I, I went over earlier, but people are not being told this throughout the world. It's the same propaganda that is being told to all populations. Now, as the United States, there are people waking up. There are doctors and nurses waking up. All around the world, there are doctors and nurses waking up. But we also have to remember that those companies that own television, uh, Facebook, even Zoom, which we're on right now, are there to make money. And sensationalism has always made them an enormous amount of money. When it comes to the question, why? Why is this happening? You know, there's been talk of, well, we want the world instead of to be different countries, we want it all to be one country. We want it all to be one currency. We want it all to be one, one, one. And the question I would have is that if we are one, will it be better or worse? And we don't know. It's just like we don't know the ramifications, the long-term ramifications of what's going on with the current RNA gene therapy that most of the my patients are getting injected with. And so the only people who know, <laughs> unfortunately, are those who know. And they're making it so that it's difficult for us to find out what truly is going on. And a great way to do that is fear. I mean, when you're afraid of something, your critical thinking goes out the door. You just don't have it in you because you're afraid that if, if I don't get the vaccine, I'm going to die. But if I get the vaccine, I'm going to die. If my child doesn't get the vaccine. Well, I don't know as a parent that the, the vaccine makers actually said, don't give the children vaccines. But now the federal government is saying, oh, no, no, you know, Biden gets up on the television and says, oh, no, no that's fine. It's safe and effective. And as I said before, Show me where it says it's safe and effective. Show me the data. Show me the research, the long-term research that shows it's safe and effective. You're giving me PEG. You're giving me nanoparticles that have never been tested on inserting 
into the human bloodstream. The PEG is used for, as I said earlier, Miralax. So it goes from one hole out the other. It's not getting into the body. So there are just a lot of questions that I don't think any of us really have the answers. There's some people say this, some people say this, but ultimately we have to take control. And the only way that we can take control is, as I said before, contacting our representatives, our state, our city representatives, our federal representatives, and basically saying, listen, if you don't do this, I'm not voting for you again. Or I'm going to tell, you know, if you're a part of a group, this is a great thing. So I was part of a, I was the mayor of a town representing people, a large group of people. I didn't have meetings with some of the representatives that I wanted to talk to. So I just called them up and I, I said, so I'm going to be in town and I'd like to have 10, 15 minute meeting with you, blah, blah, blah. This is Mayor Richard Betts. And these are the things that I'd like to discuss. I was called within 24 hours and said, oh, we would love to, you know, can you, can you fit us in between this time and this time? So if you get your city, especially the mayor on board or the representatives, you're going to go much further in groups. So like, let's say for instance, you, you, you're um, a Christian women's club or Christian men's club or, or whatever the club may be. If you all have the same focus, then as a group, you can approach these lawmakers one person or a couple of people and bring to them the information or have a Zoom meeting or have a call, 10, 15 minutes of what you as a group would like to do. The problem though comes with groups that you have all kinds of different people in each group. You're gonna have the pro and you're gonna have the anti. And that's, that's great, that's what makes life wonderful, but the other thing that we need to realize that if we don't come together and create change, it's not a pleasant spiral. I agree. And I think there's so many issues that we are actually pushed to divide us rather than coming together. And that's part of the fear. Yeah. Is the more I can divide people and, it, 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 and even, I mean, even me, as a doctor who understands what's going on, it's not that I'm pro or anti-vaccine. It's that I'm pro-good science. And Fauci, even though he likes to call himself Mr. Science or Science, he hasn't done anything in years other than play the federal government for a lot of money. But my point in that is that if there is, because there are a lot of great breakthroughs we've had in the medical profession that have saved lives. There are a lot of mistakes that we've had in the medical profession, like FenFen, which is the, um, the diet pill that many people, I think 500, died because of a heart attack. That was taken off the market. But we have to understand that the science is good if done well. A lot of the science and a lot of the papers that were produced, I would say from October to even now, some of them that you go, okay, why would the Lancet even do that? Why would these actually go through 
with putting them in their journal when it was crap science. I mean, you read it. Now, obviously, you, you have to kind of know what you're looking for. You have to, first thing that I do is I, is I read, I, I scan all the way to the bottom and see if anybody has any conflict of interest. And if it shows that, well, this person reported this conflict of interest, this person reported this conflict of interest because they work for this company and so on and so forth. I take the piece that I'm going to read with a grain of salt. However, I will read it and take a look at it and go, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. Where the heck did they pull that from? That doesn't make any sense. I mean, you can manipulate the data to create the positive and you can manipulate the data to create the negative. And I think that we are in a time in our history that science, there, don't get me wrong, there are amazing scientists out there. But most of those amazing scientists are being shut up. It's the scientists that are being published that don't really have good data and information that are on, you know, the television or getting published. So right now, a lot of science is poor. And this is one of the reasons that many of the journals in this period of time, this pandemic period of time, have actually retracted research. It's the most amount of research that has been retracted in, ye I mean, I think in the history. We haven't had the number of retractions that are occurring. Problem is, is that when a, a media outlet takes that information and blabs it all over the station, and then all the station blab it, it becomes fact. We never hear that the information was actually retracted and what we told you was wrong. Have you ever heard a media outlet tell you that what they reported was wrong? Maybe a newspaper, but the media never says it's wrong, and it's sad. We're, we're, we're at a point in, in history that it's, it's just sad. The science, uh, not all of it, but a lot of it is sad. Yeah, I definitely agree. And a special interest and in industry really own science because scientists are only going to study the science where they can find the funding. And this is have the funding corporations. So I think as a, as a listener who doesn't have knowledge in science and understands this, like you guys got to understand that this is what's currently going on and what's dominating science right now is special interest groups, corporations, it's not about genuine science or people really wanting to figure things out. It's about people wanting to find a solution to make money for themselves. If we need longitudinal data on everything, well, newsflash, the majority of the drugs that are on the shelf don't have any of that longitudinal data. You know, it's a few clinical trials here and there. Oh, you know, if it passes a placebo, great. Let's stamp it for approval and for use. And we never really know the consequences until 10, 20 years later, so we start seeing these lawsuit ads that come on TV. Oh, did you have a vaginal mesh? Did you have this drug that injured you or that drug that injured you? Call so-and-so lawyer. The dirty little secret about the pharmaceutical industry, and um, of course I didn't know this until I became a doctor, but the dirty little secret is 
in order to get FDA clearance or approval of any kind of medical procedure or product, whether it be drugs, vaccine, well, not vaccines, but drugs, the company has to provide the information to the FDA without a third party that has no financial interest in whether or not this product gets approved or not. Okay, so wait a second. You're telling me the fox is guarding the hen house? What? So that's a dirty little secret in the sense that all of the research doesn't have to be reported by the company. So a perfect example is, let's talk about statins really quick. Now statins, the original patent for a statin was to include CoQ10 because we know that the statins, uh, they did know, they studied it, that the statins deplete, depleted CoQ10. Now, the interesting thing about the patent is that that evidently was thrown out because there was no statin that had CoQ10 in it. So what we've done is we provided the federal government this information about statins, how it lowers the, the cholesterol, but we didn't give all of the information to the government like, oh, I don't know, CoQ10 gets depleted and CoQ10 is needed in order to create one molecule of energy in the heart muscle. And so people either die of heart attacks from a statin or they have an enormous amount of muscle issues. So when we look at the products that are being produced by these corporations, we literally have to take them with a grain of salt. They then, once they've been approved, go on post-market research. So all of the issues that are happening once it's on the market will end up being reported to the company and then they'll just go, okay, well, now we're gonna add this to the amount of issues or side effects that this drug happens to have. When I talked about FenFen, they knew that FenFen creates heart attacks. And that's why a lot of people got a lot of money because Whistleblower came and basically said, yeah, we knew this, but you know, well, there are a lot of fat people back then, not so many as today, but there are a lot of fat people and we wanted to get to market as quickly as possible and we made an enormous amount of money. So they have money, that's their number one thing. The other interesting thing I'm going to bring up since we were talking about money is the federal government. Okay, the federal government who makes money because we don't have the gold standard anymore, that went away with Reagan. The federal government, Biden's administration, basically earmarked three billion, billion dollars to promote you getting a vaccine. So do you know how many corporations, especially um, uh, in, in my former life, I was an actor, singer, dancer. So do you know how many individuals that are out there with production companies are saying, oh, wait a second, I can charge the federal government an enormous amount of money, make an enormous amount of money off of the commercials. And we've all seen the commercials starting. So we took $3 billion and put it toward the propaganda of getting people vaccinated. Imagine if we took that same $3 billion 
and said every child and every person in the United States, vitamin D, vitamin C, and zinc, or if you wanted a medication, ivermectin, we would still not spend $3 billion. And you would have a decrease in disease, a decrease in hospitalizations, a decrease in death, and all of the other things that happen with this disease. Why is the federal government putting $3 billion towards something that has not been FDA approved. It is an emergency use authorization. It is not approved by the FDA as a medical procedure. And how is the federal government allowed to do this? Well, because they're the federal government. They think that they are able to do whatever they want. And that's why I'm saying, going back to getting people involved, individuals, they can make a change by contacting their representatives. Great, thank you so much, Richard. Um, I, you know, I think we've been going on two hours now, so thank you so much. We don't want to take any more of your time, but we really, really appreciate your opinion on this serious matter. Um, and I hope that you know all of our listeners and our audience members really heed the warning of people who have done this critical thinking that understand what's going on when they kind of see the monster behind the veil, so to speak. So thank you again, everyone, for joining us today. We're just really excited to have these, these very radical conversations, but very necessary conversations, because we're only seeing a one-sided view with everything that's going on with COVID and the vaccine. And we really need to inspect all sides, all opinions, and really understand where everyone's coming from and the motivations behind that as well. So please like, share, comment in our content. Also, go ahead and check out our GoFundMe and Patreon pages to keep this podcast rolling. Thank you again. We'll see you next time.